uh, Phil and, and I were in Ethiopia and then Uganda training leaders, meeting with leaders, and then Phil stayed on for an extra 10 days to coach the leaders that we've trained as they train others, which is what we're about, is multiplying our training out. And because he'd been there as long as he had been, then the plan was that I would go to Brazil and, and then he would stay home. But we had a family crisis, and as a result, Phil uh, took my place in, in Brazil. I stayed back, and, uh, and uh, as I mentioned, we had a, a family crisis and with a daughter and visited her on a, on a Wednesday and then came back to Lena and Phil's place. Phil's in Brazil during this time and, and, uh, and saw on the news the, the information, the news about the, the, the shooting at the borderline bar and grill. And uh, close to home in that uh, Lena used to work there as a, a server when it was called Charlie Brown's Restaurant. And then our son, Linus Jr., had his 20th high school reunion from Thousand Oaks High School at the Borderline Bar and Grill. And then uh, three of our granddaughters, uh, Phil and Lena's three daughters, had all uh, gone line dancing there. So uh, just the, the news was shocking. And we, we uh, uh, Thursday morning, we were watching the procession as the uh, uh, Sergeant uh, uh, Hellas was taken to Ventura, and we weren't very far away in, in Oxnard. And, and then about midday, we left to return home. And on the way home, I noticed that the wind was kind of picking up, you know, kicking up, and it was just more of a peripheral uh, thing because I was focused on you know, keeping my eyes on the road and where we were going to turn. And, and uh, we, we, we took the Pacific Coast Highway back to, to our place. And, and then when we got home, we got the news that a fire had started. And uh, in the days that followed, uh, two of our daughters, our daughter who lives in Topanga Canyon, our daughter that lives in Newberry Park, were both mandatorily evacuated. Our granddaughter, Chelsea, Lane and Phil's eldest daughter, was mandatorily evacuated from uh, Channel Islands University. And... and uh, I, on Thanksgiving, Sharon and I drove out on the Pacific Coast Highway and just saw the incredible devastation. A few days earlier, we'd gone on Highway 101 and seen the devastation that, uh, that had taken place in the Thousand Oaks uh, area. So how, how many of you here were either evacuated or know somebody that, that was evacuated? That, uh, and, and how many of you knew... Uh, someone or you know that was at the borderline the night of the, of the of the of the shooting and just many of you so it it was especially uh, close to home for us and and I, I was facing a similar uh, uh, trauma not exactly the same but but uh, some years ago and just struggling with. How to, how to get through this, and I came across a, a, a quote, and the quote was, life breaks us all. And actually, it was Ernest Hemingway that, that made that statement, and later on, he, uh, in his own brokenness, took his own life. <clears throat> but the, the, the little devotional booklet that I was reading as I was going through this, this struggle and 
turbulence in my life and, and, and read this quote, life breaks us all. The, the, the writer of this little devotional booklet, which was called Finding Grace in the Dungeon, that the, the, the author went on and said, but some are made strong at the broken places. And that's what I want to talk about this morning is how can we be made strong in the broken places of our lives, in the broken places when we experience tragedy and, and trauma, when we lose loved ones, when we lose things that we've worked so hard for, when those things are taken from us. And I want us to look this morning at the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is written to some Jewish followers of Jesus in the first century. And it's, it's, it's uh, someone somewhat later in the first century. Uh, we know that it's before 70 AD. 70 AD, there was a, a revolt on the part of the Jews in Israel against the, 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 the Roman forces that were occupying their, their nation. And, and so as a result of that revolution, that revolt, the Romans crushed the Jewish Revolt and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem and, 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 the, and the temple, the 70 AD. And so we know as we read Hebrews that this is before that event took place. But we also know that it's a time when the Jewish followers of Jesus are under pressure. They're, they're being persecuted by the Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And we find in Hebrews chapter 10, Verse 32 and following that uh, for some of them, their property had been seized. They lost their property. Uh, some were even in prison. In Hebrews 11, the, the writer to Hebrews uh, talks about the sufferings of some of the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament followers of, of God and Yahweh and who, who, who looked forward to the coming of Messiah Jesus that now these these Hebrew Christians, these Jewish followers of Jesus are looking back at the coming of Jesus and his, his death and his resurrection. Uh, we read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, that Timothy, remember Timothy, Paul and Timothy, and, and his second missionary journey meets this young man and joins him in his missionary journeys. He's kind of a sensitive, timid kind of person. Later, Paul writes to him. We know he's got stomach problems because Paul says, hey, look, at a little bit of wine is, is, you know, is, is good for the stomach. And that, that Timothy, at this point, has been imprisoned himself. And uh, he's just been released from prison, according to Hebrews chapter 13. And so no, no doubt, under pressure, some of these Jewish Followers of Jesus are, are, are confused and they're struggling to make sense out of, of the turbulence in their lives, the turmoil in their lives. Uh, some are no doubt tempted just to give the whole thing up. Just, you know, this is just too, too difficult to, to follow Jesus and, and it, it doesn't make sense. But as we read through the book of Hebrews, we see that, that whoever wrote this, we don't know exactly who who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, some people say it was Paul. Uh, we don't think so. Some say it was this, this guy named Apollos that we read about in, in, uh, later in the missionary journeys of Paul, or maybe it's, uh, it's Aquila or, or Priscilla. But the writer of Hebrews writes to these Jewish 
followers of Jesus who are experiencing turbulence and trauma in their lives. And he writes to encourage them. And as we read the book of Hebrews, there are three things that we can do when we're experiencing confusion and turbulence and turmoil to find strength in the broken places. And I want to read Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then connect it to a single verse in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 10, and then uh, look and see what the writer to Hebrews says we can do to find strength in the broken places. And in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, he writes, or she writes, we don't know, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, Old Testament, Old Testament Prophets, God's at work in the Old Testament. But then he goes on and says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Then he goes on, so he became as much superior to the angels, and he will go on through the, the whole book and elaborate that even more. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, this single verse, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. And as we read through the book of Hebrews, we find that there are three things that the writer encourages us to do, that we can do to find strength in the broken places. And the first thing is to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Notice what it says, that, that he is appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. You ever wonder what God is like, what God looks like? Then look at Jesus, because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He, all the way through the book of Hebrews, we're encouraged to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. We're told that he's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses, as you read through Hebrews. He's greater than the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood in the Old Testament. He's greater than the Old Testament sanctuary. He brings a new and better covenant. In chapter two, verse nine, we're told we see Jesus now crowned with honor and glory. In chapter three, verse one, we're told to fix our thoughts on Jesus, the apostle, and high priest of our faith, the apostle, the one who, who extended God's purposes, and the high priest, the one who intercedes for us and 
and connects us to, to, to God. In chapter 3, verse 14, we're told to hold firmly to the confidence that we profess in him. In chapter 4, verse 14, we're told to hold firmly to our faith. In chapter 12, verse 1, we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Maybe you've heard the, the, the story of the kingdom is a birthday party. A man wrote a book and tells a story of an experience he had when he was speaking in Hawaii. It was late at night when he finished. He was kind of amped, you know, couldn't, couldn't sleep. And so he went, went found a little, little diner, a little cafe. He could get something to eat, a cup of coffee. I don't know why he'd drink coffee. It must have been decaf. But uh, I, it, it's such a small place, they're, 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 the only seats are at the counter, little bar stools. And so he goes in, he's the only person there, and sits in the middle and gets his cup of coffee and his donut. And about two o'clock in the morning, in walk these two prostitutes. And because he's sitting at the middle, in the middle stool, they sit on both sides of him, proceed to have a conversation with each other across him. And they're going back and forth, and in the course of their conversation, one of them said, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. And the other one responded sarcastically, so what do you want, a birthday party? What do you want, a birthday cake or something? And the other one replied indignantly, I didn't tell you because I wanted anything. And she said, besides, I've never had a birthday party before, and I've never had a birthday cake in my life, so I don't expect one now. And they proceeded to talk, and then they left. And the author of this book stays, and when they're gone, he asks the owner, hey, do these women come in here regularly? And the owner said, yeah, 2 o'clock every morning. You can set your watch by it. And so the author said, well, tomorrow... We're going to have a birthday party. And the owner said, that's a great idea. He got on the phone. He called his wife. Hey, Meg, it's so-and-so's birthday. Can you bake a cake? And next night, about 1.30, the author comes in and got decorations, starts putting up the decorations. There's a beautiful birthday cake right in the middle of the counter. And about a quarter to two, the place starts filling up with people. The word was out that it was so-and-so's birthday. And two o'clock in walk the two prostitutes. The place is full of people. They're stunned. And, and the, the author says, I didn't know what to do. You know, so I said, let's sing happy birthday. And they sang happy birthday. And then the owner came with the cake and handed it to the, the woman whose birthday it was. And she just stood there staring at the cake and their tears coming down her cheek. And finally, the owner says, well, aren't we going to cut the cake? Aren't we going to eat it? And she said, do we have to? She said, I've, I've, I've never had a birthday cake before. I, I, I want to keep it. And she turned around and she left <laughs> to take it back to her, her place. And everybody's stunned. And the author says, I didn't know what to do. So I said, let's pray. And he began to pray. And he just thanked God for this woman. And Thank God for his love 
for her. And thank God that if she was the only person that ever lived, Jesus would have come to earth for her. And he prayed that she would come to know Jesus and his love and his forgiveness. And when he finished praying, he opened his eyes and the owner of the cafe was right here in his face. And the owner said, hey, Mac, I didn't know you were one of these religious types. What kind of a church do you belong to anyway? The author thought for a moment. said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 2 o'clock in the morning. And the owner said, no, you don't. There's no church like that anywhere. She said, if there was, I'd join it. Well, when you focus on the person of Jesus, it makes a difference in how you see other people. It makes a difference in how you see yourself. It makes a difference how you see the world around you. It makes a difference how you see your circumstances, even the traumatic and the difficult ones. So the author of Hebrews says, focus on the person of Christ. And, but he also says we need to focus on the power of Christ. That Jesus is powerful. In, in verse 2, chapter 1, he says he sustains all things by his powerful word. Jesus is holding this universe together right now. He created everything. John chapter 1, verse 1, John writes about him, in the beginning was the Word, thinking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, but the Word was God. He's trying to, you know, separate but one. And, and, and then it says, all things were created through him, and without him, nothing that is created was created. He's the creator. He's the creator of the universe, he's powerful. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, we're told he has the power to destroy the destroyer, Satan, and free us from the slavery of fear of death. In chapter 7, verse 16, he says that Jesus has the power of an indestructible life. He lives forevermore. He lived a real person in real time and space and history and, and, and dates. And he rose again physically, literally, bodily from the grave. And there were eyewitnesses and it happened in a real moment in time and space. And now he lives forever. And this is the hope we have that there's more than just this. That this isn't all there is. We're told in chapter 7, verse 25, that he has the power to save us. In chapter 9, verse 14, we're told that he has the power to cleanse our consciences. You ever done anything you wish you hadn't done, said something you wish you hadn't have said, thought things you wish you could just blot out? Jesus has the power to cleanse us. From all that, we're told in chapter 10, verse 10, that he has the power to make us whole again. You know the story of Humpty Dumpty? I grew up, little nursery rhymes. Anybody remember Humpty Dumpty? You know, Humpty Dumpty's like a nursery rhyme, and he's an egg person. 
and, and you know, he's, sit, he's sitting on a wall, and he's dressed up. He's got a cute little suit on and a little tie. I have a picture of my son when he was really little, beaming face. And, but, but the story of Humpty Dumpty, who is an egg, I suppose he's a hard-boiled egg, but, but the, the nursery rhyme is that Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, remember? And then Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, a big fall, and then you turn the page, and there he is, he's fallen. And what do eggs do when they fall? They break into little, little pieces, and there he is, little Humpty Dumpty, little pieces. And it says, and all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. And we're like that, aren't we? We're Humpty Dumpty people. We've all fallen. We've all got pieces of our lives that are kind of broken and not fitting quite the way that they're meant to fit. And, and all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put us together again. But here's the amazing news is that Jesus has the power to put us back together again. And that's what he does. When you turn to him, he begins to fit those pieces back together. We're told that Jesus is powerful. We're also told that his word is powerful. In Hebrews chapter four, the word of God, this is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's like a probiotic. You know, and, and, and if, if you just look at it, it's laying down there, it's nothing. But if you start to ingest it, you know, that there is some kind of a, 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 a bacterial, powerful effect that begins to rearrange the architecture of your mind and your soul. And so the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to pierce down into the deepest parts of our soul and, and separate the, the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. <clears throat> the word of God is powerful. And faith in Jesus is powerful. In the book of Hebrews, there's a whole chapter, chapter 11, of just ordinary people out of the Old Testament, talking about some of the Old Testament, a great cloud of witnesses who were just ordinary people, but they put their faith in the living God, and that living God began to work and do extraordinary things. And that's what he has the power to do when we put our faith in him. And sometimes for some of them, he'll go on and say, it didn't end up well in this life, but this isn't all there is. Hebrews chapter 11. So we need to focus on the person of Christ, and then we need to focus on the power of Christ, and then thirdly, we need to focus, according to the writer of Hebrews, on the purpose of Christ. And that's where these two verses that I read connect. You know that Hebrews 1, have you ever wondered, it says, in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times, various ways. God was working Old Testament, doing all these things, you know, over a period of 1,500 years, and and, but then it, it shifts and says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Have you ever wondered why God changed his program? In the Old Testament, he's working through a nation called Israel, and, and the story is unfolding. But then he changes his program. 
And he sends his son, and then his son gives birth to this thing called the church, and he's doing something different. Now, why does he change his program? Well, I think the key is found in chapter 2, verse 10, this single verse that I read where it says, in bringing many sons to glory. What was God's purpose in choosing Israel? You know, someone said, how odd of God to choose the Jews. Why did he choose them? To bring many sons to glory. He chose them according to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah 49 verse 6, to be a light to the nations. They were meant to somehow radiate the greatness, the awesomeness of being connected to God. And that would draw the surrounding peoples of the, of the whole world. That was their mission. But something happened in the Old Testament and they lost their sense of mission, their sense of purpose. They, they lost this sense of we're here to bring many others to glory into God's kingdom and into a relationship with him. And they got all wrapped up in themselves and, and separated themselves from other people, began to look down on people who are different than them. And, and they just got caught up or, or, and just kind of doing things everybody else was doing and, and instead of the awesomeness of connecting with the living God. And so what did God do? God said, oh, well, I guess, guess my program's not working, so I'm just going to forget about it. No, he didn't change his purpose. He just sent his son. And his son gave birth to this thing called the church. And what's the purpose of the church? What's our purpose? What's our purpose when trauma and tragedy or, or good times are happening? It's to bring others, to connect them to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To bring many sons to glory. To, to, how can we do this? Well, we can pray for people. You know, I'm sure that many of you are praying for people who've been affected by the, 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 the tragedies of recent weeks. And then we can help them in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. I, I was reading this verse and it struck me. It says, It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We don't, don't want you to become anything. We, we can help other people. We can reach out to them. We can help them work through the, the, the losses that they've experienced or the confusion that they have, and then most of all, we can point them to Jesus, that this isn't all there is, and that somehow Jesus can help us make sense of things. When Jesus is at the periphery of people's lives, then everything will be blurred. Nothing will really make complete sense. Life breaks us all. If not now, certainly all of us will face the end in our own lives. But if Jesus is at the center, everything will come into focus. Many people live survival lives. They live as though this is all there is. That's our culture, our culture, secularism, 
Secularism says, this is all there is. Don't bring the God thing in. It's okay if you want to do that on your own, but just don't bring it into the center. But we can't do that because we know, we know the larger story. I had someone ask me recently, I, I was coaching a young missionary from Australia, about 35 years old, and we were kind of processing some of the challenges he faced, and he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, you're really old. He says, are you just waiting to die? And I kind of laughed because I, I knew what he was asking, but he went on to elaborate. He says, everybody I know your age is just, you know, they've been living their life, working to try to get enough money to get a Winnebago and then just drive around in a Winnebago. Now, be careful here. I had someone at first service say, hey, my husband and I just put down a pay, down payment on a Winnebago. <laughs> and, I, and I said, that's great, but you've got to be a Winnebago on mission. So you, you've kind of connect with the Winnebago crowd and help them know this isn't all there is. This isn't the end. And, and that's what this young Australian missionary was saying. He said, all the people I knew in Australia your age, they're just waiting to die. I mean, they're trying to be as comfortable as they can. And, and I said, you know, I'm all in. I, I, I'm passionate about what I'm doing, about reaching people for Christ and and training leaders and seeing new churches started and developing those churches. I, I said, I'm full bore. So in contrast to a survival existence is that sense of mission that we have, that we're on mission. No matter what you do, Winnebago or not, you're on mission to help other people make sense out of the confusion that they experience if this is all there is and point them to the person of Jesus and to the power of Jesus and to the purpose of Jesus in their lives. Let me ask you, in the midst of your struggles, are you focused, are you refocused on the person of Jesus? Are you drawing from his power Jesus, I need your strength, I need your power, I need your help to get me through this, through the loss, through the confusion, through the disappointment, and because I know, Jesus, I can trust you that you will take me through this, and, and Jesus, will you use me to, to touch the lives of the people, the people who have been devastated by the tragedies, the loss, Can you refocus this morning? Find strength in the broken places of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church that I know is focused on the person, the power, the purpose of Jesus. Thank you for its leadership. Lord, thank you for Gordy. Thank you for its staff. Thank you for each person here that I know is drawn to draw near to you, to follow you, to serve you. And Lord, help us this morning to refocus and to help others 
find that focus. And maybe there's someone here this morning that uh, Jesus has just been on the periphery of your life and things have been blurred. And right now you can just say this prayer, Lord Jesus, I invite you into the center of my life. I ask you to begin to work in me and show me the way through whatever I'm facing to give me strength. You promised to give me strength. I want that strength. And would you, would you help me make a difference in other people's lives to not just be concerned with my own survival but committed to helping others find you and find a path through what they're going through and connect with the resurrected Son of God. We pray that. And Father, for those of us that are, have that center of Jesus, just use us. Use us to light the light of Christ all around us, in Jesus' name, amen.